0: to the One Life Podcast, where we talk about things from One Life Church, but ultimately things we think can relate to you and your one and only life. My name is Sarah Inman. I'm one of your co-hosts of the podcast. I'm joined, as always, by co-hosts of the podcast and our lead pastor, Brett Nicholson. Hey, Brett. Hey,
1: Hey, Sarah. You know, of of all the subjects we've done, and I've enjoyed many, many of our podcasts, but this one has me the most... I don't know, enthused, I guess you'd say, because yeah. I feel like I'm learning uh, already. I've learned a ton. so
0: Yeah, I agree. am uh, excited. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those, I mean, uh, any conversation that we get to have, I always feel like I'm learning from somebody, right? Somebody yeah. brings a story that you love learning from people and hearing, having conversation. Um, and I'm always excited for other people to hear them but it's always great um, when you create something and and be a part of something where people are like hey thank you for that so um, thank you for listening thank you for your feedback and again you guys can um, share this episode out as well wherever you're watching Um, you can hit the share button you can um, send it to someone or even just leave a comment that always helps us out a ton Um, or you can email us at podcast at onelifechurch.org we love getting more information or Maybe there's someone that you know that we'd love to, to share their story. And so, um, Brett, can you tell us just a little bit about the series that we're in for the podcast? Because we've never really done series of the podcast, but we're trying something.
1: Yeah, we are uh, just in light of all the upheaval that's going on in the world and uh, in, uh, in our nation. We wanted just to pause and say we're praying uh, Philippians 1-9, which uh, I pray that your love will grow more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, is what he prays for the Philippian church. And so the first step to that is seek not so much to be understood, but to understand and that's just been the motto that we've gone for. And, uh, that, and that starts with listening. And so we're, uh, we are listening and learning uh, from, from people who have experienced, have experienced racism, racism number one, just in their own experience, which I have not. Uh, and, and also leaders who have insight into these things. And, and today's guest absolutely does. So if you hear about his background as we travel through his story, uh, we're just going to get a perspective that most of us do not have and so um, we're gonna glean
2: some great stuff I'm pretty confident of that
0: yeah so we're joined today by Michael Posey Michael thanks for joining us today
2: it is an honor to be here so I thank you for the invitation
0: terrific um we always love just kind of starting out getting to know you so tell us just a little bit about you
2: well I was born in Chicago Illinois inner-city Chicago now I know some people will they'll have some kind of image that'll go Mm. in their head but uh, where I was raised um, strong family strong family values um and uh, so i had a pretty normal childhood um i think one of the turning points was in my life was when i went into the marine corps <laughs> it was interesting um right before i was going right before the uh, they were coming to pick me up i had uh, i had a friend uh brought another friend and he, he, he began to talk to me about the marine corps and he was telling me how much racism was in the mm-hmm. Marine Corps. This is the day before I was going. Oh no, Yeah, <laughs> oh, there is a pep oh, talk, yeah. yeah. And uh, and so I don't know if I braced myself, but I know that that was part of my thinking. And uh, early on in the Marine Corps, I think when I said it, it was a turning point, um, I was at school before I was uh, put to my, my duty station and um, had a lot of white guys that were with me. And one guy, we kind of got into a disagreement. Um, And the light came on because he was from Minnesota. He had never really had interaction with African Americans until he came into the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. Growing up in Chicago, I interacted with all kinds of people. And um, as we started talking, and it was an argument, we started talking, it was an argument, but he said something. He told me his image of black people was because of, especially in Chicago, because at that point in time there was a series called Good Times. I don't know if oh, any yeah. of yeah. you all know about Good Times. I do. I was I was, I
1: was there when it was on. As <laughs>
2: <I know laughs> not, not the times, reruns,
1: yeah. but the actual. Yes, I remember so Good, good times, times very well. So Good Times is set
2: in Chicago right? in Chicago projects. Okay. Yep. That was his image of black people. Okay. And the reason I said the light bulb came on because I found out many times the issue was not racism, it was ignorance. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And the light yeah. bulb came on. So this was happening in the Marine Corps. The second major change for me was once I got to a, a duty station. Like my military occupational spec- specialty, it was data processing. And, um, The majority of the Marines that were in that field, they were white. So the majority of the guys that I spent time with, lived with, they were white guys. And I really developed a strong relationship with a guy by the name of Steve Warden, white Mm -hmm. man. And um, we were out one day, we were out one day, we're at a club, and we come out, I come out of the club, I'm with maybe six or seven white guys, I'm the only black guy. The club is loaded with white guys. Mm. I step out, and it's real crowded, and so I actually bumped into someone. And I walked outside, and this guy followed me with three friends. And all of these were Marines. All of these were Marines. And they, I could tell this was going to turn into a fight. So I'm hoping this story is okay for, for one life. It is uh, yeah. It is. so far. And but if it, not, let us know. But it was but it was, <laughs> so it was a, really a turning point. And so I looked around and I saw someone I knew and I said, "Can you go and get Steve?" And she went back into the into the, into the club and brought out Steve and my whole group. And now these other guys started looking at me and Steve was the one who initiated the uh, uh, altercation didn't turn into a fight but it was and I asked myself this question if I had been in Steve's place would I have initiated something if it was all black guys Mm. Mm. and it caused something that I began to stir and I began to search that and so I think that was really one of the things that initiated my journey Wow. You want me to keep going? Yeah, mind? yeah. No. no, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah, it is. And so um,
1: so that's your... And and we need to note for the record that uh, you are a, a pastor here, here in the Evansville community and of, of Church of the Harvest uh, in Evansville and uh, Foursquare Church here. And so I don't want to speed up the story, but I want to kind of... So you're in the Marine Corps, which is you're uh, I'm assuming, 18 to 22 in, in that yes. era of your life. Yes. And so you've had these revelations come on. Yeah, step it
2: out, kind of where did that kind of thinking go from there? So I spent four years in the Marine Corps, came out, went back to Chicago, uh, got a job, and uh, I was a part of my uncle's church. So this was still in an African-American community. And there were some issues that took place in that church that me and my family, we felt like we needed to make a change. And we had no idea where we were going to go. Um, I was working at a, a corporate data center at this point in time, and there was an African American man, and he was—he knew I was looking for a new church, and he said, "Me and my family—we're getting ready to visit this church because that's where our kids go to school, but we feel like we need to make a change." He says, "Why don't you go with us?" And so we said, "Yeah." So I'm asking, so I'm talking to a black guy. I'm not aware he's getting ready to take me to a predominantly white church. And I, would, I, used to, I used to joke and I would say Cornerstone was like ivory soap, 99.9% white. <laughs> and I walk in there, I walk in Cornerstone and I look around and, um, and I really enjoyed the message. I really enjoyed what the pastor talked about. But I'd already settled in my heart. There was no way in the world we were going to stay at this church. And when we walked out of the building, my wife said, I really like that church and all of my kids said can we go back yeah. and um and we never looked for another church never looked for the, another church and, go ahead no where were you
1: when you went to this church you, you enjoyed the message and everything even though it was it was like Ivory's soap did you uh did you feel well received and just, uh, as as people or did you sense any kind of uh racial it, kind of issues at all
2: well um the congregation, here's what I say, a lot of times people don't know what to do with you. And so because they don't know what to do with you and they don't know what to say to you, then many times they don't say anything. Right. They don't They don't say anything. The issue was, the thing that made it easier for me to come back was the pastor and his wife, they both came up to us. Hmm.
0: Kind of yeah. that personal relationship, connection.
2: Right. And 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 each and, and this is the thing I did say about that, the, the first visit, I said to myself, that church is not ready for that pastor. Hmm. I, I could just tell he was going someplace. Um, And so when we kept coming back, they kept extending themselves to us. Now people were not rejecting us or anything along those lines. Uh, sometimes they were asking interesting questions. You know, the city of Chicago is multiple millions of people. Mm -hmm. They're asking me, do you know this person? Like... (laughs) I I heard
1: a a Chinese comedian do that one time. He said, do you know how many Chinese people are in the world? And everybody I meet, if I meet a white person, they always ask me if I'm Chinese. Hey, do you know so-and-so?
2: It's like, uh, so you got the same experience. So, uh, But um, I did... I I did feel like I connected to to him. And I would tell people, initially, I did not join Cornerstone. I joined Greg House. Hmm. Wow. I joined Greg House. And gradually, the church began to make some changes. Now, this was happening while we were there. We experienced the Rodney King riots. We experienced the OJ trial. And all of those things were interesting trying to navigate the church through that. And so he was asking a lot of questions. And I remember he started doing a series, I'll never forget it, he did this series on diversity and unity. Hmm. Um but through those major issues, um we started losing white people. But the funny part was more blacks were coming. More yeah, blacks interesting. Were coming. Yeah, okay. And um from that standpoint because I was young, I think I could have been close to 30 maybe um i didn't understand the cost this was on the pastors because they were losing friends they were losing relationships and they were and and of course nobody was leaving because it was black people coming but all of them left and i would probably say 90 percent of them went back to a white church so, and, and when you say
1: that, I'm assuming you're saying no one said that out loud. Right. But what would they say? Anything? I mean, what was the, what was the buzz behind the scene? Do you have any idea?
2: Yeah, I, I think because, it, you know, I've heard, I've heard people talk to me and they say, I'd, I'd really like for our church to become multiracial. And then I say, okay, are you really de- ready to pay the cost? <laughs> um, because if you're going to have a church that's going to be multiracial, that's going to affect a lot of things that are going on in your church. It'll begin to to affect the music because if you really want people to be a part of the church, they bring part of culture with them. Right. And, um, here's the thing is I think a lot of times people measure things by something is better or worse when really it's just different.
1: Yeah.
0: It's a good, yeah. It's
2: a it's good just, distinction. It's just different. Right. So, is this type of music better? Maybe not. It's just different. Yeah.
1: Or it could be better. <laughs> I mean, we, we've talked about this before. That a lot of times,
2: but black, but, but I'm just saying, music can. But too be many better. times, right. I think people right. try to measure that way when exactly really yeah. Yeah. it is different. Um, and so, it be, here's what I think. I think at least these are some of my values: is the thought of whatever God has called you, whatever God has called your church to be, be that. But at the same time, any time new people come in, if they really get involved in the church, they start bringing something with them and it starts adding to the church. You know, like a lot of times people will talk about being a melting pot. And so what we say is that's not what our church is, it's not a melting pot, we call it a stew. And so with a stew, stews got beef, it's got potatoes, it's got carrots, it's got green beans, but you don't call it meat, potatoes, green beans. You call it a stew. Mm-hmm. But they don't lose their integrity. Yeah. And so if you're gonna at least my thought is you bring when when people when when you're building a, a, a multiracial church. You still have to have those kinds of things where they don't lose that integrity, but how do you incorporate it? At the same time, still staying focused on what God has called you to do. So you watched that happen in the church that you were at Mm -hmm. and and it literally
1: converted over and then at some point, and I don't know where your pastoral career began and and then you ended up moving to Evansville, Uh, but you set out, my perception is you set out to build a multiracial congregation or felt called to, and but did you did that memory kind of haunt you a little bit? And you thought maybe that's not such
2: a great idea, or did they, you ever consider that? Well, I never set out to build a multiracial church. Okay, that's and I important. I never set out to become a senior pastor.
1: <laughs>
2: okay, what did you set out to do? Uh, well, I knew I had a call yeah. of God. So, right. just real quick. So coming off so. I was at Cornerstone for probably about three years, and the senior pastor, Greg Howes, he took me out to dinner and he says, what would it take for you to leave your job and come on staff here? So that's how I made the transition into ministry. So I became an assistant pastor there. Okay. Um, And then uh, there were some things that were happening here in our church, our Foursquare Church that was in Evansville. And so they asked me would I come down and take a look at and see if, you know, um, if, if I felt like God was calling me there. Hmm. Because before I got to Church of the Harvest, they were already experiencing some degree of making a cultural change. Okay. Now, the, the interesting portion was, and so when I came here, um, I didn't think I was gonna stay because I really felt good about being in Chicago. But I heard the Lord say, I'm calling you to this place. So that's how I became a senior pastor. That was not okay. That was not what was part of my plan. That was not part of my plan. And so I submitted to God's plan. And um, it was interesting when I came and I accepted the leadership of the church, even though it was multiracial, almost all of the leadership was white. And okay. the church had gone through some changes because of what had happened that brought me here, some issues with the pastor and right. the church. It had multiple, it had several splits. Uh, and one of the things that stood out to me is one of the people who stayed white woman, she, she came up to me and she says, are you going to replace, are you going to put all blacks in leadership? And then I asked her, I said, have you noticed you have all whites in leadership and and, and I think sometimes we we're not aware of what's happening until right. something begins to change, and so that's kind of what brought me here. Um, and um, and so I think the church had probably by the time I got here, it was maybe down to about twenty people. It's about twenty people, but uh, I think the things that I had learned and cornerstone, as well as things I'd learned in the Marine Corps. I think it allowed us to keep growing and keeping it being multiracial. I say it it becomes a very intentional action. You know, sometimes God can do some sovereign things, but at the same time, I think people still have to become intentional. And so what I mean by that is, even to this day, we don't deal with quotas, but we are aware. (laughs) We are aware of what's going on with our leadership. Are we trying to keep some kind of balance in our leadership? And sometimes there's more blacks in leadership, and then sometimes there are more whites that are in leadership. So we don't make a decision based upon we're trying to keep this certain number of people, but we watch it. Because here's what my thought is I saw this, I've seen this in my life, where people would say, Well, we don't have anybody qualified of a different race to take this place. And I say, I understand that. But if you keep saying that for five years, then it means you're not doing anything intentional to start raising up people in places of leadership. Right. And so I've heard those stories for so many yeah. years. And so I think Greg was very intentional about bringing me on staff. He was looking at what was happening in that church and so, he was, and, and so he saw the grace that was on my life, but I think he also recognized this is something that we need as well. We need to bring African-American leadership into the church.
0: I had a, a couple questions based on some of the stuff you said, which when you were talking about being in Chicago um, and some of the stuff that was going on then, and they did a series about unity. Yeah. The questions that were happening then inside the church, are any of those similar to questions you're getting now? Um, at leading your church here in Evansville
2: it's a good question um, I don't know because um, when this was happening let's say Rodney King mm-hmm. I wasn't on staff I was a member but I wasn't on staff I was having conversations with Greg um, now we did during the Rodney King deal because by that time we had already made a shift that we were becoming more predominantly black. Um, we had African American people, they could not handle still being at a multiracial church mm-hmm. even though nothing had happened. They just could not be still be there. Um, so I do think there were similarities but nothing like what is happening currently, you know, to the point of marches, um, so much stuff that's that's hitting the airways. And at that point in time I think too, we didn't have social media. Right. So right. social media is like steroids. It just it gives so many people a platform and they really haven't earned a platform. Um and um and so everybody's talking and it becomes so much noise. It becomes so much noise. Hmm. Um and so people don't really know who to listen to or what, you know, if this is, if is are this is the way I'm supposed to respond. Uh, so I think it becomes more of noise. I would say as well, in that point in time, I think I started started uh, developing some degree of my theology uh, about racism, um, about um, about endeavoring to keep. The, the the unity of the Spirit and um, and so uh, as I started studying that um, I think that started helping all of us to begin and navigate these kinds of things I think because too uh, I was an up-and-coming voice in our church I think Greg was really leading but he was also giving place to me I told him uh, because when I came there uh, the friend who invited me, he stayed, and I had another friend who came, and um, and so I was t- uh, and so I was telling him, I said, right now, I said, the three people that, the three families that are coming, and, you, and and all of us had some kind of grace and some kind of call on our lives. I said, but right now we are not what you would call militant, and uh, and I said, when you st- as as this thing begins to grow. You're gonna have other people that are gonna come in and you're gonna have to learn how to navigate that. Um, So I think all of those things kind of feed into the dynamic. I think um, especially if you're moving a church to becoming a multiracial church, the key is some of the the voices that you you put in front of people. Do they have your heart? Do they know who you are? Mm -hmm. Um, And um, and also understanding the the culture of your place. Because um, when we were just talking before we got on here, I said, Jesus even made a a statement where he said, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot yet bear them. And so I think you have to use some wisdom about how you're gonna walk through it. One of the, I think one of the, the things that we found out afterwards at Cornerstone, and I think it helped me when I came here, Cornerstone it had um it had almost like a campus, so it had the church uh the church, there was a school uh and so all of these and so for like our midweek services, we had children's ministry, young people's ministry, youth ministry uh and so the adults were were in the sanctuary, and so whenever people you know when we let out, families would come and meet well, we weren't aware, and we didn't find out this till a long time we weren't aware that there were issues that were happening with our young people with our young people um and so our young white guys white children they didn't want to come back to church they didn't want to come back to church and because some of those issues were real um wasn't like there were fights but they were they were getting some intense conversations there were some some intense conversations very and uh, I think people felt like they were being intimidated Um, and so um, so if you're a parent and your kid is telling you I'm a little scared to go back to church most people and especially because if you are being a nice white person you're not gonna say there is a racial issue that's going on with our kids the thought is I'll just go and find another place. And so I think that's been... That's a good point. um, I think in in, in my journey, one of the things that I have found out, so often if if you're going to be African... as an African-American family, if you want to keep moving forward, you want to move to a new home and different things like that, you have to be willing to adjust to going into could be a predominantly white neighborhood. When neighborhoods change where it looks like it becomes too black, whites leave. So they always have a different option to get away. That's not always the same thing that's true for African Americans. They don't always have that option where they're gonna go to some place that everything looks just like them. Looks like you wanna ask a question. Oh, I I do, but continue. I mean, um, we've each got all kinds of questions we want to ask. (laughs) So I think those are subtleties that people, and so what it does means, what it means is as an African-American, I have to learn how to interact with white people. White people don't always have to learn how to interact with black people. Hmm. And I don't think that they're aware of it they're not aware of it. So as I was coming up, so when I'm going for a job, usually there's a white man sitting at the desk who's doing the hiring. I have to know how to talk to him. And I don't think people realize all of those kinds of things when you come into certain environments. You know, uh, whether it was at Cornerstone or even where where we're at right now, if we're doing something with our young people, and so we're trying to, to do something, let's say, with our youth, and we're going to some kind of conference. Our black kids, they are more at ease going to a predominantly white event because they are used to it. The white kids are very uncomfortable going to a predominantly black event. Yeah, I can I yeah, can I'm, imagine
1: that's true uh, when you say it yeah. yeah
0: that speaks I think to some of the conversation that even we want to continue to have here is for us to continue to hear that I mean it opens my eyes to thinking about things because I'm sure I've not on purpose but just done the same thing you know or um and so I I and I'm Brad I'm sure you have some questions too but I'm curious um when you talk about church stars being a multiracial church and some of the conversations that are happening now What's that look like right now? I mean, what, what kind of, are these things that, because this is obviously um, not new, um, some of these things that are happening now, but right now it, it's definitely um, a mainstream conversation and um, we all agree that that's a good thing. We want it to be, but what are those conversations inside of a multiracial church in this moment?
2: It's, um, it's very, very challenging right now because it is not just having that conversation. Yeah. Because we have not started coming back for our services, our corporate services. Right. So we're still doing live stream, we're still doing Zoom. And there are to me, there are certain conversations. you really need to be in the building together. Yeah um, And so you know since I've been down here 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 here, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll answer it with in this way. Um, we had to deal with when Barack Obama was running for office. Mm -hmm. So, white people are, some, and I'm not saying all, but some are, and they're really having a problem with it. African Americans are really celebrating it. They're really celebrating it. Um... And and then and so what would happen is sometimes the the issue would be is you begin to talk about certain things about uh, Barack Obama's life that does not look like it lines up with scripture. So that became part of the conversation. So I want to let you know for both of those elections, those things were really interesting about how you navigated and especially how you navigated from from the pulpit. And it would be interesting I could talk on on a subject. And people are convinced this is what my stand is, but they were really listening through their own filter. Right. By the time we get to Donald Trump, that's the same thing. It's the same thing, um, and um, but the same standard that was given for a Barack Obama, Obama, that was not the same standard that Donald Trump was judged with. Yeah. Hmm. And so. And, and so learning how to walk that out,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, uh, I just uh, yesterday I was talking about this um, because uh, I told you one of the uh, questions, I mean, uh, verses I really like is where in Ephesians we talk, start talking about endeavoring to keep the, the unity of the spirit. And the word unity is different than uniformity. And I think sometimes people look at unity as uniformity, Mm. that if this is the way you're supposed to do it, this is, and so if you don't do this, if you don't say this, then you're not supporting this cause. And that is not what that verse is talking about. It is not talking about uniformity. And I think that becomes one of the major strategies of the adversary is because people define you are not with me if you are not saying the same thing that I am saying. So we're even dealing with it in this culture right now. If you're not talking, so sometimes you see signs that say silence is violence. But I have also seen people who are really talking and they're making all kinds of bad mistakes because they're not really gifted to talk. So the issue of so when I'm, I'm so as I'm talking about that, I'm saying whether it's elections or different candidates, um, you don't have to be uniform. You know, if I can talk, so, you know, so I'll, I was having somebody a conversation with someone and they were saying, I just have a problem with Barack Obama. And they're always so I said, so I asked them this question, has he done anything right? And that caused him to pause. <laughs> has he done anything right? And then and, and this woman told me, she says, You really changed you challenged me. Well, I do the same thing right now, where people would say, Has done has Donald Trump done anything right? Um and so learning how to have those kinds of conversations. So I think because of the fact that we cannot meet we cannot meet, I think it becomes more of a challenge. Sure. It becomes more of a challenge because what happens is, is people forget who their friends are, that we are friends. And they'll start focusing on what's going on in the world. And just because I'm not saying what you're saying, but I am still connected to you, uh, it begins to start, we, we start forgetting we are friends. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if anybody's ever come to you, you know, that they're going to leave the church. They're going to leave the church. Never, ever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Can't even imagine. And so when they come in Or maybe
2: once or twice. If somebody maybe. comes into my office, <laughs> it's almost like they've put up this defensive wall. They've had to work themselves up to have this conversation. And what I do is I say, we're friends. Yeah. And yeah. So if God's calling you someplace else, we can still be friends. We don't have to be enemies. And so I think, and so uh, if I would just say underneath it all, when I start talking about my theology, I know at the root of it, it really is a spiritual battle. And the adversary, no matter how much we quote Ephesians, where it says we wrestle not, Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. The adversary always makes us focus on the flesh and blood. Yeah. And so what's happening behind the scene? Behind the scene, we never focus on what's going on behind the scene. And so I feel like that's part of my call. I think that's part of my grace how I look at it from the standpoint of of the kingdom of God. Now now so I'm not also, I'm still not, I'm not saying that somebody else has a different point of view that I cannot support them. But I'm also um, aware of what is my grace and what has God called me to. Um, and And so we're not going to be uniform, but we can still have a place of unity. Yeah
1: do you and I, I I hear many people who are white and and I, and I know i'm I'm this way and, and Sarah's this way is we have this heightened awareness and we see this problem and everybody hates it quite honestly we don't want it to be there uh, vast majority of people that I know just simply don't want it to be there we want to f- fix something we want to turn a wrench we want to not just go through this experience where there's, there's so much tragedy going on and the hurt and the hurt that happens but we're all asking okay what can i do what what how can i adjust my life to make things better so we're maybe not having the same conversation 5 years from now from your vantage point you're just coaching um, you know a big group of white people what would you tell them you know here's what you can do or here's the top 3 things or whatever it would be
2: i think first of all you got to do something like this but i think you have to have conversations and they can't be like a one-time conversation, because the initial portion of a conversation, it takes a while before we can actually get to a point of being vulnerable. Um, And so I would say you have to start having some uncomfortable conversations. Mm -hmm. Now, I also think, though, this, this, this this is my thinking, you've got to have the right people in the room. Because if you've got the wrong people in the room, you'll never accomplish anything. And so, um, and 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 what I what I mean by that too is whoever is leading it, whoever is lead, leading it, that they've got to bring some level of authority so that you can't keep getting distracted, um, as well as making it a safe place. Have to I think you have to make it a safe place now. A safe place doesn't mean it's not going to be uncomfortable. It will be uncomfortable. It will be uncomfortable. Um, And um, I also say this is you have to also have to make some decisions. That we are, we have been called to be together. And so so if you're having these kind of conversations, we're not going to abandon each other. I'm not going to take my ball and walk away from you we're going to walk through this we're going to walk through this we're going to come back to the table um it's it is to me it's almost like a marriage to some degree sometimes when you start having issues in your marriage and you two can't hear each other maybe you'll bring in a counselor and they'll help you see each other yeah. so so i think that i think number 2 uh when people have asked me this question about it um I said one of the problems is so often black people talk to black people about white people and white people talk to white people about black people. And so what we keep doing is we keep fueling the stereotypes because we haven't we haven't walked that thing together. And so I think you have to make sure that you are doing some bringing some people let's say even into your church that you feel like um You're developing a relationship. Um, They're not going to blow your church up, um, but can help lead your church to these kinds of, you know, that this is what our destination is. This is what our destination is. Um, As well as what I would say is this, and when I when I told you this is one of the things I learned at Cornerstone, you have to engage your young people. You've got to you've got to talk to your young people especially not just your teenagers, but your children. You've got to make sure that there is some kind of you're getting some feedback from them and preparing parents for these kinds of things. Um, see, because if, if you have a white kid comes in with some uh, behavior problems, you won't say that's because he's white. you'll try to find a way to deal with it. Mm-hmm. You'll try to find right. a way to deal with it. Sometimes if a black child comes in and there are some behavior problems, it becomes a default that it is because he's black or that or because it stands out so much, it stands out so much. Um, and and so I think you have to engage that um, and, I also think you need to also at some point in time you've got to and not do a quota, but you I think you have to be intentional about, about raising up leadership. That and and you know a lot of times I've gone into churches that are they are they are multiracial. But when you you know if you pull up their 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 Facebook page or their their website page, you see all of these white people, and then you see somebody black. And so I asked myself, is that really a multiracial church? Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got a mixture of people. You've got a mixture of people. But you really don't have anybody in places Mm -hmm. of authority and who are making decisions. Um, and, And so I think a lot of black people, they walk in and they begin to look at that. They begin to look at that. So I would even say when I came to Cornerstone, I think that there was a grace on my life. There was a call of God on my life. But I hadn't gone to any kind of Bible college or anything else along those lines. Uh, But Greg brought me in, worked in the place of training. But I don't think, but I also think it was also, it wasn't just the fact that he was doing something. I was also giving something i was i was doing something that was helping the church as well so he could see those kinds of things um so um so i think those are some of some of the things yeah. that and that's plenty that's good where's greg
0: now i'm curious where's greg now is he Can't, still he's still he's cornerstone
2: still cornerstone um so he's been there close to 35 years well,
0: that's awesome um, yeah. Um, as we kind of wrap up, I know you brought some notes with you. I just want to make sure there's anything else that you wanted to touch on or anything no, else I that felt, we didn't ask about.
2: I felt like the conversation went well. I just had some things uh, that if I needed, sure. that I would, I, w- I, w- I would have access to it. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to
1: leave I, anything out. That I, you- I, yeah.
2: But I, I say this. Um, here's 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 um, one thought. Peter has a vision from God, the Apostle Peter. God talks to him, Jesus talks to him and says, Peter, kill and eat. And um, Peter's initial response is no. He says, no, Lord. He knew who he was talking to. Hmm. And he says, no, Lord, because what Peter is being challenged with is This has been a value of his life. I have never partaken of anything unclean. And so God comes back and Jesus comes and tells him, he says, what I have clean, let no man call unclean. And so Cornelius sends a messenger. Peter has an, an encounter with him. And following that, Peter comes to the conclusion, yes, there's a place in the kingdom for Gentiles. When you read in Galatians chapter 2, Paul says, I had to have a conversation with Peter face to face. Because when Peter got around the Jews, he started treating the Gentiles different. And he says, because Peter did this, he says, the next thing I know, even Barnabas is now involved in this hypocrisy. And so Paul confronted Peter. And I think as people are moving through these seasons and these times of racial reconciliation, and there are things that are happening in them there, they're getting a revelation from God that God is saying, these are the things that I wanna do. The challenge comes with people who have not had that same enlightenment. And they'll begin to put pressure on you. And I call it the old man. When Ephesians starts talking about the old man, and the new man and what happens is he says put off the old man and I think sometimes when you get around people that they have not experienced or they haven't had the revelation that you have all of a sudden they put some level of pressure on people Mm -hmm. and we default and we put back on the old man Um, so if you're going to be walking this line that means you're going to lose some relationships you're going to be challenged in your relationships um, and make sure that you don't go back to some of the old things. Yeah.
1: And even Peter did. you know, he's, He got that revelation yes. and then he kind of went back and forth. He, he's a he's very comforting character, actually. <laughs> <Change> <laughs> we all mess up. Yeah. Change
2: is difficult. Yeah, absolutely. It really is. Change is difficult. And sometimes we don't give people the grace as they're going through these changes that some of the old nature comes back up and mm-hmm. they kind of forget who they are. But I think if we respond correctly, a lot of times they come back to the place that God's called them.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we appreciate you coming in and just hanging out with us and having a conversation today. We appreciate that a ton. And, um, and I'm, I'm, i always just love hearing people's story of how, where they got where they're at right now. It's just fascinating to me. And, um, I have to ask this cause I don't know. Are you a sports fan? at all? Yes. Okay, so you said you came to Evansville in 97 from Chicago, so you were in Chicago during the first Bulls three-peat, correct? Yes. What was that like? See, I need to know this.
2: <laughs> I mean,
0: being in Chicago during one of the first three-peats, it's...
2: So I was in there for both of them. Okay. I was in there for both of them, and uh, here's an interesting story about that. Uh, I was on staff, and this, this, this lady, wanted to come for counseling she didn't go to our church and uh, because she her and her husband were too close to their pastor so he recommended her coming to me and so when she comes into my office I look and she's got this huge bulls ring on her finger one of the championship rings and I'm trying to stay professional, <laughs> trying to stay professional. and when we finish the session She pulls out her big business card and says accountant to the bulls. Wow. And she says, if you ever need bulls tickets, contact me. Yes. She was my contact for like five or six (laughs) years. That's amazing. So we didn't I didn't just see them on television. Me and my You were in the house. We were in the house. Oh my goodness.
1: That's the best. That's awesome you are watching history right there in front of you that's, i'm a that's sports amazing.
0: fan i love sports and uh, i feel like their stories playing out in real time and i love stories so um that's awesome cool mm-hmm. well um uh, i would love uh, honestly it's kind of putting you on the spot and i should have told you this before we started but could you just pray us out for, sure. that'd be great
2: sure father i thank you for this time this time with pastor brett as well as with sarah But Lord, it's not just us. There are other people that are, they're part of this conversation. And just as you've been moving on the inside of me, and I believe in both of us, you're moving inside of your people. And so Holy Spirit, you are here. We're not just walking by ourselves. You are with us. And your word declares that the steps of a righteous man, they are ordered by the Lord. So I'm asking you order our steps, bring us into some encounters. Right people, give us an encounter with you as well as you begin to direct where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to do. And Father, we even make a stand against the powers and principalities that fuel racism. The powers and principalities that also cause a place of division and ignorance, O Lord. And we recognize that you, through the cross, you have defeated each and every one of them. So give us revelation, oh God. Let us have a people. let us be a people of courage as sensitivity. And Lord, let there also be a sense of intentionality. I bless you and I bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of a new series that we're trying with the podcast. And you know, honestly, we just want to continue listening and learning together. Um, So maybe you have a story that you could share with us, something that we could learn and listen to and and learn with you. Um, Or maybe you've just had some really great resources that you've been reading or watching or know some things that that all of us could be reading or watching. We'd love for you to share those with us. You can email us at podcast at at onelifechurch.org. And we're going to continue talking about racism uh, for the next few weeks. And we're going to be continuing bringing in guests and learning from them and just listening and doing our part there. So I know that that might be uncomfortable for some people and Honestly, maybe we need to be a little bit more uncomfortable to be able to continue having this conversation and growing together and ultimately time to do better. So thank you for joining us. We'd ask for you guys to share this out because we want to continue being one of those resources that people are looking to um, and having conversations. So uh, you can share this out on social media. You can also email us at podcast at onelifechurch.org. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.